Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cool Side of the Pillow podcast. My name is Jamie, and in this podcast, I interview my friends, family, and even strangers about their passions and hobbies in life. We'll talk about movies, music, sports, cooking, and so much more. So join me as I dive into the world of the geeky, nerdy, and niche on the cool side of the pillow. And now, without further ado, over to future Jamie with his guest. Take it away, Jamie. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cool Side of the Pillow podcast. My name is Jamie, and I'm the host for this evening. And with me today is a very special guest, a co-worker or former co-worker of mine, I guess, at this point. Uh, Mr. Ryan, Are you, do you want me to say your last name? or? Uh, sure, yeah. Mr. What Ryan is my last name? Tapley. The most wonderful name I've ever heard. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely love it. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing really, really well. How are you, Jamie? I'm great. If uh, if the people, this is an audio only thing, but if the people could see your like setup with your awesome old timey like I don't even know how to describe it, but his mic is like yeah. Hey, describe if you Google Sure Fifty Five SH. It's the Series Two. That's what it looks like. That's it right there. Had it it's... for live performance and concerts and singing and things like that, and then. A pandemic happened and live performance ended. Yeah. So now you brought it home. So I brought it home. You did the live performance from home. How is that working for you, by the way? The, uh, the yeah. Are you doing any acting right now or, or have you put that on the, the sidelines for, for the bit? I, I've been just working, working Joe jobs lately. Uh, the okay. last acting I did was in the late winter, early spring, sort of January, February, kind of, uh, with the Theatre New Brunswick Young Company. And we were doing some theatre for young audiences and, and sort of what that looks like in a pandemic, mm. which was kind of fun. Um, it was a great bunch of people to work with. I was really excited every day to go in and, and work with them. Nice. And uh, yeah, we created some stuff, filmed some stuff. One piece of that has been released, uh, I know, so far. I, I think there's still kind of keeping the rest of it. We, we sent it off to schools Okay. sort of a collaborative project to do with the students and to inspire them to create things of their own. Nice. But I think the rest of it is being kept under wraps and only with the schools, but someday I hope to see the rest of it too. Cause it was a, it was a, a really, a really terrific, terrific project to be on. on. I can't speak. That's awesome. Some water. Um, so the topic audience, the topic of today, uh, if you didn't just, uh, gather from what Ryan just said, um, is is theater we're going to be talking all things theater and specifically diving into more of the the shakespearean world and talking a little bit about shakespeare himself um but before we get into the shakespeare aspect i'd like to just get an idea of your your ryan uh your background in theater and in performance mm -hmm. and stuff like that so when did you start and, and stuff like that let's see if i can say everything that needs to be said without rambling too much. Ramble, uh, go ahead. I, <laughs> I started, I, I was a very shy kind of a kid. Okay. I didn't, didn't really particularly enjoy the idea of uh, interacting with people all that much. I, I would much rather stay home with mom. I was uh, uh, an only child for the longest time and uh, uh, went to school and it was just, I missed, I missed my family. 
so then my, my, my family, being a very good family, tried to get me involved with other things. And they put me into sports, and I wasn't particularly good at those, didn't really enjoy those all that much. And they put me into piano lessons, which I did enjoy, didn't enjoy practicing all that much. But learning that was always something that I enjoyed and that I still use, but it's not a very collaborative experience. Sure. Uh, and then they put me into like a, a summer camp run by Theatre New Brunswick. Um, for kids, I was about, oh, what would I have been? About eight years old, probably. And I, there were just the director of the program at that time was just a really, really wonderful person. And uh, her successor, who's in charge of the program now, I, I did work with when we were, we were both in high school together. Um, nice. And again, just a really wonderful person. So I'm really glad that, that program is like that. Anyway, it, it just opened this, this sort of window up into okay here's here's a group of people it felt i've used in in talking about it before an analogy of of there was always this lock and i found what the key was um that's sweet so then i started just doing that a lot mm -hmm. and then i started doing professional work in 2011 i was cast as tiny tim in a production of a christmas carol um in new brunswick was tiny what was that in new brunswick yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, that was also Theatre New Brunswick, which is the, the only English language professional company in New Brunswick at that time. Mm. Uh, so then I started working. And with that gig, I kind of went, oh, wait a second. Here are all these people who do it for their job. It's not just a fun thing you can do on the side. It's not uh, only the realm of the rich and famous. Like this is, these are ordinary people who work other jobs, but mm -hmm. uh, who are also who are also doing this. And from there, the tra trajectory to theater school was kind of set and predetermined. Mm -hmm. um, went, finished off high school, jumped right into a bunch of auditions for different schools, ended up going to one whose name will not be mentioned so that I don't end up in a situation of libel. But I will say that it shares a name with one of the architects of the residential school system, uh, mm -hmm. which is a, a fun fact. Um, Lovely. Went there for four years, graduated with a BFA, and then uh, came out the other side swinging. Nice. Uh, is it without drawing too much attention to uh, said said school? Um, you it. I'm I'm gonna kind of narrow the field and uh, and say that uh, it was in Toronto, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So I want to yeah. know your kind of your your thoughts and your experiences with with new brunswick versus uh versus toronto because now that you've you've been mm. to toronto and have gone back as like an adult so you've seen mm. the childhood aspect of new brunswick theater you've seen the more adult toronto school kind of based stuff and now you're back in new brunswick so how does that all uh, feel well i i always said even when i was finishing high school that if i could get the training and and have the experience and have the contacts that I would get at like a Toronto theater school or something like that. If I could have done all that and, but done it in New Brunswick, I would have hands down. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I really like it here. It's nice. I still don't like interacting with people all that much. Uh, <laughs> um, and there are far fewer of them here. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a really, uh, where I'm from is sort of the Fredericton region uh, and the Wollastook uh, the the name of the river means beautiful river. Uh, colonizers gave it the name the St. John River after St. John. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, 
it it lives up to its indigenous name. It is it is a really beautiful river. It's a great just climate. Uh, there are two universities here, so the sort of the the culture in the city is always really interesting because there's always something really interesting going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, go from that to uh, Toronto. And when I first moved to Toronto, I was living in residence, so I was living right downtown as well. Uh, and for those of you who aren't demographic nerds, um, <laughs> New Brunswick has a population of about seven hundred and fifty thousand or eight hundred thousand people. New Brunswick, the province, and mm-hmm. Toronto has what the the city proper is hovering around two or three million or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, there was a lot of people and mm-hmm. a bit of a culture shock just really with the sheer number of them and the way that pedestrians interact with one another. Where you know it seemed sometimes that I was the only person who was looking where I was going or caring if I hit anybody. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, just the, the height of the buildings and how little sky you can see was a was a big shock. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, did the school? It it was very nice. I don't I don't want to trash talk Toronto too much. Well, I do want to trash talk Toronto, <laughs> but I don't want to do it too much. Yeah. Um, because within walking distance, there's so much to to see and do, and lots of good programs to take advantage of. Like just, um, I was there and I was able to get. You know the the twenty five and under the under twenty five free admission to the AGO and mm-hmm, Soul mm-hmm. Pepper was doing things where if you were a student if you're under a certain age I can't remember yeah uh, you can I think it was under twenty one yeah like the, you get like the, five buck tickets or something like yeah. that so I was able to take advantage of that and uh, like the ROM is free to students on Tuesdays or at least it was when I was a student so mm-hmm. uh, I would do that and I'm a I'm a big fan of of museums and galleries and see, seeing old things um so yeah there, there were really nice things about toronto and um some of my favorite things to do though would just be to take a walk just at random through somewhere that i had maybe never been before only been mm. once uh before and find kind of a park on my way down to the the waterfront and just kind of maybe read or take some pictures i uh, in my second year of school i started uh, trying out some medium format film photography and uh, just to have something to take my mind off of <laughs> the craft of theater 24 mm-hmm, seven mm-hmm. um, something that was still a little bit creative, but something that could kind of, you know, slow me down and have me look at what was around me and, and appreciate the beauty because there are elements of Toronto that are really beautiful <laughs> as well. Uh, like some of the architecture, for example, or even just, you know, some of the parks. And the I will say, though, I will say that uh, while some of the architecture is very nice, uh, the other day I was uh, driving at, or something. I was going somewhere and I passed by the, the ROM or I saw the mm-hmm. ROM in a picture or something. And uh, it's disgusting. It's so gross. Why did they do that? It just well, and the rest of the building is such a nice historic building too. Mm. It's right there by U of T campus, where everything kind of, you know, feels feels like it's it's a whimsical wannabe Oxbridge. And then, yeah, it lo- it looks like somebody just shoved a sharp like glass box onto yeah. a beautiful like historic building. I don't know why, but yeah. Someone was telling me one of our one of our coworkers who I won't name drop here just in mm-hmm. case they don't want their name dropped but sure. one of our coworkers at the theater was telling me that the original concept for that 
was that it was just going to be all glass. You're going to be able to see right in. Uh, but that was vetoed in part to keep sunlight out of sensitive exhibits, but also in mm -hmm. part so that they could continue to charge admission. Now, I have not fact-checked this, but uh, it's it's an interesting interesting idea, interesting Very. reasoning. It would be interesting, though, to see, uh, like, fully, because that would be really interesting to see just full glass that you could see all a bunch of different, like, monument not monuments but you know what i mean yeah. uh, exhibits and stuff just popping catching your eye as you walk by that'd be really cool mm -hmm. um so east coast versus toronto um east coast wins east coast wins i have only been to newfoundland a while ago and that is my only experience i would love to actually visit more of it but uh, alas and alack the world shut down but uh um so so in your in your time in toronto at uh at the school that we won't mm -hmm. name um and, and thereafter because i stuck around afterwards it was still working as a as a working true. actor and you kind of have to do that a big a big center very true um how has school impacted like you're 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 like going to school for theater and for acting and stuff how has that impacted your love of theater or your like i like i'm sure it's it's improved your skill in certain mm -hmm. aspects and stuff, but how does it, has it dwindled any love for theater or impacted that? No. Maybe no. when you were in it versus now or something like that. Yeah. I would say it helped me to see theater more as a craft, something mm -hmm. done by artisans as opposed to just, you know, inspired people. Um, it's really, it's, it's not, uh, what's the word? It's, it's the end product is ethereal and kind of ephemeral, mm -hmm. but the process itself is, um, I, I would list it as akin to like a, a, a craftsperson making something or a, an artisan making something or a mm -hmm. tradesperson uh, making something. You know, you, you do this, you do that, you do the other. You don't rely on your feelings because they're not reliable and uh, out comes whatever comes out the other side. So I would say that um, it kind of always been kicking around the back of my head, but that really developed and, and solidified as a way of looking at what theater is and what acting is. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting that you, that you mentioned like, it's not like the feelings aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, like, to me, I just, I pure, I almost purely associate theater with, with, with like, feelings and emotions and stuff. Well, with the... and, it, and it should be, like, you're, it's, it's not about, uh, Aristotle in, in the Poetics would say that tragedy, the, the purpose is catharsis. Hmm. Uh, so you're trying to bring feelings out of the audience, that's for certain. And you might even be trying to, if you're, if you're really sneaky, trying to bring feelings out of the people that you're on on stage with mm -hmm. um, not in a way to try and manipulate them or anything like that, but just to kind of give them something to work with something, yes. some fuel there. For if sure. you do feel, cool. if you do, if you do feel emotions, you know, you can make them work for you, but you can't just wait around and hope that, Oh gee, I, I hope that in my sad scene, I feel sad today because that's, it's not going to happen. You know, there's going to be that's one day one. that it's not going to happen. And if you don't have um, the work you can do, then you're just going to feel like you're being left high and dry. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So you're definitely trying to trying to make other people feel things, but not relying on feeling things yourself. 
Bill Nighy um, recently gave a, a little snippet of insight into the this. actor and not I the scientist right correct n-i-g-h-y not n-y-e <laughs> um and i can't remember his exact wording which was great but he was talking with a, a person who was in theater school and he was a rec recounting the story and uh, she was saying that she was having trouble because she just wasn't feeling anything when she was acting or when she was doing the the exercises and he said, well, you saw me in, you know, whatever such and such a play was that she had talked about. And she said, yes. And he said, you thought I did a good job. And she said, yeah. And he said, well, you know what I was feeling right then? I was feeling like, well, I'm, I've got to do this and I've got to move over there and I've got to put my hand up here and I've got to set this on that table. And then once I get home tonight, maybe I'll take a shower and then I've got to, you know, get groceries. Um, I was, I was doing the work, you know, I wasn't, feeling anything either but i was doing the work you don't you don't have to feel things um if you're not making the audience feel things maybe you're you're having trouble but if you're not feeling things yourself that's a good that's a good thought because it's especially for people i've always i've always like questioned and wondered how people in major like productions like a Mervis show or or, or mm -hmm. something like on broadway or whatever how they can do it night in night out consistently like that without like draining themselves like uh pfd trick when they were here like the yeah. amount of emotion and stuff that they were like you could the audience felt from it uh whether like it kind of gives understanding to maybe they they weren't actually feeling all of those emotions so deeply as much as they were giving them off which is a very and, like, interesting giving thought. them off is still exhausting too like oh, it's, it's sure. no less exhausting than experiencing the emotion but it's more reliable mm. i like that um so we're switching into the shakespeare gear i guess um when did you first like kind of experience or like dive into mm. uh shakespeare and his works mm. do you do you remember mm. well i had I had done like I some sonnets and maybe a scene or two and kind of had a, a perfunctory idea of what what the stories were and maybe I'd I'd seen a production here or there uh, through middle school and then when I was in grade ten I had an English teacher that I really did not like at all but one thing that I did like about what they what they did in their in their teaching style was with the Shakespeare, rather than reading it or having us read it all together, uh, they would we'd be reading a scene in a particular day, and just at our desks, mm -hmm. we'd volunteer or be assigned roles, so we'd kind of get a, a feel for how it sounded uh, to have different people speaking as as different parts. And we were doing Twelfth Night, which remains one of my favorite plays. Um, it's a good one. For it's sure. just it's it's got it all, man. Um, but we were doing Twelfth Night and everybody was volunteering for Orsino and Olivia and Viola, and, you know, Feste. Everybody wanted to yeah. be. Um, and there was only one person who ever wanted to be Malvolio. So the one person kept <laughs> reading for the part of Malvolio. So I read the part of Malvolio just about from start to finish. Everybody else was kind of yep. shifting around. But right from the get-go, I thought, there's something fun about this character. There's something just really weird about him, but really, really fun to sink your teeth into. Yeah. And I got to read that role for the full five acts that we did. Um, and going through and kind of getting inside it and 
having as as one has in an English class sort of, you know, well, this is a particular convention of the day that means da 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 da, and this is why they're using it, or, you know, oh, this word that maybe you're not familiar with, this is from such and such, and it means yeah. such and such, or, uh, uh, or even just sort of the that experience of of learning the the background of what the theater was like, what what theater in general was like when Shakespeare was writing and things like that, and when his contemporaries were writing who often collaborated with mm -hmm. him. Um, it was something that I, I personally really jived with. So I, I really enjoyed that. And then from then on out, we would do kind of the same thing throughout high school, you know, read a, a scene here or there, we'd yeah. each be given a role. Um, I was heavily involved with the drama club when I was in high school and we never did any Shakespeare. They usually did because Shakespeare is, you know, it's free. You can, there's no True. royalties to worry about um, because he's been dead for 400 years. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, being in the drama club and then most of my English classes, because I was in a, a top level English class. So most of the English class had also been in the drama club. The teacher would look at us and go, well, I've got a room full of actors. I'm going to make use of this. Huh? Uh, and I, I found that really helpful for just kind of getting into it, getting getting it in my head, and getting me in its head. And, yeah. So, so um, you didn't. Uh, you were kind of Shakespeare. Kind of you dove into his stuff pretty quickly. There wasn't any mm -hmm. like because for mm -hmm. me, I was like, for the longest time, I didn't like Shakespeare, or it was something that was like confusing and weird and stuff uh, until I kind of made my way to, to university but you it just was kind of a straight dive in and you loved it from from the get-go yeah i i would say so i i remember when i was in elementary school there was a, a fifth grade teacher who um he either retired yeah he retired before before i was in fifth grade but i remember when i was in the younger grades Mm -hmm. um, I interacted with him often. He was, you know, a fun, jovial guy, and he always had his students in the fifth grade um, do a scene from some Shakespearean play, often Romeo and Juliet, because it's a pretty easy one to dive into. Mm -hmm. um, so I was kind of exposed to it from from down there as well. And also, I think something with the language is I had just always grown up around all these, you know, other texts and prayers and things like that with, with similar language, you know, Hail Mary, full of grace, hallowed, you know, true, our true, Father true. who art in heaven, hallowed be mm -hmm. thy name. So I kind of had the the idea of where thy should be used and where thee should be used and where thou should be used, as opposed to somebody else diving in going like, these are words and they all mean you. Um, <laughs> it, it was something that was a little more intuitive because I, I kind of Fair. had that work done already. Yeah. Um, I didn't and even then I was just, consider that. Yeah. And then also, I suppose I had I had been taking singing lessons, classical singing lessons for a while, and my teacher, for whatever reason, just gave me a lot of German art music, um, a lot of like Schumann and Schubert, and there are a lot of similarities between those forms in English and how words are arranged in in uh, German. Like you've got your du for you, mm -hmm. and you've got your Z for fancy you or multiple you <laughs> um and how like du bist you are or 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 thou beest you know it sounds oh, similar du okay, siehst, okay. Or, or, or or you know so you you thou seest uh, so you kind of have those those endings already sure percolating 
so then when I was, you know, really diving into a text, whether in an English class or then once I got to theater school, our the first half of our second year was kind of devoted to Shakespeare. Um, and we had a terrific, terrific director, God rest him, um, for that. Anyway, by the time you're kind of diving into Shakespeare itself, if you've got all of this other stuff kind of in there already, it makes it a little easier to start parsing text. Mm -hmm. So did you, uh, like as you went, did you start kind of like diving into it on your on your own time or was it only like stuff that you'd wait for uh learning in school and uh like how did university impact that as well after you you went to to theater school and university i would say with with um just reading it on my own i would do it and i often looked it up i didn't have any copies of of play texts mm -hmm. until Oh, probably grade 11 or 12 when I had picked some up at a, a, an artistic director was moving and selling a bunch of his stuff so he could move more easily. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I would look up play texts of, of Shakespeare's works and of other uh, early to modern English works online and kind of read through them. Um, and I probably didn't understand them that, that well or, mm -hmm. or to the degree that I might now. Um, but again, it was just sort of, you know, getting used to the grammar, getting used to the way that the rhythm, you know, da-dum, 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 Oh, it's different there. Not really clocking what the connotations of, of the rhythm would be. Yeah. Um, but getting it into my body some more and then going to university, um, for theater, we were studying with Ian Watson, who, passed away a couple of years ago and, was just a, a really you know you could just see him light up like a little firefly um when he was talking about theater and he just as well as giving us sort of the background that any old english teacher could do he also had uh, a very good way of sort of how shakespeare wrote for actors and how shakespeare wrote for audience mm -hmm. uh, in a really theatrical setting as opposed to just you know an english class looking at a text because it's written in the english language mm -hmm. um, yeah so then just sort of all the all the different bits and bobs and things ab about how the construction affects the meaning you know which words are stressed um, in a particular line, especially if that line could have been written and meant more or less the same thing with stress elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Which words did did the writer choose to make stressed? What are the last words of those lines of, of iambic pentameter? When is it verse and when is it prose? When is the pentameter broken? If it's you know a wall of uh, a wall of verse and then it's something else. Mm -hmm. And then the why on all of those as well. Yeah. Like why did he choose it that way? Why did yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, they're all like little flags that you can take note of that like, oh, something's different here. Mm -hmm. And then you can start exploring what that might mean to the author, sure. But what, what can that mean in this presentation of it right here? What can that mean to me as an actor dealing with this text, trying to uh, say what this character is saying meaningfully? Um, yeah, and ending, ending on even just something as simple as, as ending on a strong rather than a weak syllable, mm -hmm. you know? Um, to be or not to be, that is the question. It kind of, it shows that the weakness of the character of, of Hamlet throughout, but mm -hmm. in that one line in particular where he's really questioning and, and feeling 
a bit unmoored. Fun fact about Hamlet, he's unmoored most of the time. <laughs> uh, and when he's not unmoored, he's just being really nasty to Ophelia. Um, he's a jerk. He's a jerk. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, little little bits and bobs like that. Or also when there are a couple of different words uh, in the English language that mean almost the same thing. There are no real true synonyms in English, but there are a couple of different words that mean more or less the same thing, but maybe with different uh, rhythmic values to them. Maybe one is a bumpa, one of them is a papa, and one of them is just a pa. Um, you know, why use this one to make this meter instead of this other? Yeah. Um, it's just really getting kind of getting it into you. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that, uh, cause I've, I've very minimally acted any, uh, Shakespeare, uh, probably cause I was not very good at, uh, at doing it and understanding it. Um, but I'm sure that like doing it on stage and reading it are so like vastly different like from the brief stuff that i've i've acted it feels so different to actually get up get it up on its feet and and like perform it to audiences because i think you're right i i i know you're right that the that shakespeare like he's an actor so he wrote it for actors and to be acted which i think really shows in in the the per performance of it even um just uh, a written text. It wasn't really until sort of the the mid nineteenth century and kind of the Victorian era, as as I understand it, it was around the the dawn of the Victorian era, maybe sort of towards the end of the Regency, that one would sit and read quietly to oneself. Um, before that, reading was something that even if you were alone, you were kind of doing it aloud. Um, which is something that Shakespeare would have been writing for, something that makes reading James Joyce a whole lot easier. Uh, if anybody's ever tried reading any of his really wacky ones where he makes up a lot of words, where looking at the page, it can be absolute gobbledygook. But then you say it out loud and you kind of feel the rhythm of it and you go, oh, this sounds like this. Oh, this is what he's saying. Yeah. I, I find it very similar with Shakespeare where sometimes on the page, it may look like gobbledygook. But as soon as you put it in your mouth, or, or into your ears, um, that's when it really starts to go. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Now I'm now I'm in the groove. Now I'm now I'm in the jive. I know what's going on. So so kind of going off of the James Joyce area, as um, is Shakespeare from that era. Is Shakespeare the one that's kind of like taken over you, or are you a big fan of like Marlowe or or uh, a kid Thomas Kidd or something like others from that kind of I... era? <laughs> I will say I'm I'm the biggest fan and the the widest read in the works traditionally attributed to Shakespeare, which means therefore that I'm probably a big fan of William Shakespeare, Thomas Kidd, Christopher Marlowe, Ben Johnson, and maybe Bur Burbage and a handful of others, mm -hmm. because um, yeah, it's it's very likely that only on a couple of his plays did Shakespeare write alone, and the rest of them were kind of written with his name attached to them, but script doctored by other people contributed to by other people that was that was um, going to be one of my questions that yeah. controversial question did shakespeare write his uh write his plays or or not yeah. now there are some there are some people who think that shakespeare never existed and that he was only really a pseudonym used by a handful of different writers mm. and i think it's it's pretty easy to refute that one considering yeah. we have you know baptismal records and things like that and people don't make baptismal records for <laughs> 
fictional yeah, people. people. Um, but yeah, it's it's very likely that he that he had help. He had, you know, it was kind of like a TV writing room today. Um, mm. That you're kind of you know sitting around shooting ideas out and and you know he was he was writing very quickly as well. Like he'd be yeah. writing something. They'd have a couple of other plays happening uh, in rep. Um, so it was all kind of you know there. I've tried myself to write a five act first play like Shakespeare. I have been at it for several years and I'm not through the first act. So, um, you know, A, these were brilliant fellows, sure. B, they had a lot of help from one another, which I I think it's also a product of the time as well. If you're, if you're trying to write a, is it like a can, temporized version of a five act play or are you trying to get that same kind of language and stuff I, in yours because <laughs> if, if you are doing that then it's going to be a lot tougher because that's not the normal jargon we have now i am restricting myself to vocabulary that would have been used in the late elizabethan slash early jacobean era um the reason why I'm writing is because so because Shakespeare has been so entrenched in the canon and is sort of the definitive figure of English language writing, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's you know George Bernard Shaw, there's Chaucer, there's Spencer, there's a handful of others. Um, but Shakespeare is kind of the big kahuna when it comes to to English language For sure. literature, and he wrote a lot of a lot of things that were not nice about a lot of people. Um, like I think in particular of some of the, some of the um, text in Merchant of Venice or even just like the offhand insults that sometimes, sometimes people will throw at one another, you know, Oh, thou swarthy Ethiop. And you, you read that today and you go kind of what? Um, and generally speaking, and there are a couple of exceptions like with Rosalind, for example, in that, but generally speaking, it's a lot of dudes on stage waving swords of all varieties. Um, so what I'm, I'm hoping to do if I ever manage to complete even a first draft mm-hmm. is to write something in the style of this canon that opens it up to other discussions and, and other types of people that we don't often see on stage in, mm-hmm. um, in Shakespeare's writing. Now, luckily we are, you know, casting any old kind of person to play the roles that Shakespeare wrote, but that doesn't mean that he wrote roles for any old kind of person. And uh, I think I think that's sort of a place that we can be a little a little subversive and have a little fun while still respecting sort of the grammatical genius genius and, and the craftsmanship of um, those works attributed to Shakespeare. Yeah, that's a very admirable uh, goal, and I, I wish you all of the luck in that because that's a big feat to try to pull off as well. So. I've only got like size 10 feet. So (laughs) call out to other people who want to help uh, Ryan with his thing. He needs his, his own writer's room here. I I need uh, my Marlowe's and my kids. Exactly. Um, So, uh, so uh, I'm just looking at my questions that I wrote down so that I don't fumble, but now I'm fumbling. Look at me go. You know what? We all fumble. As we fumble along. So how long have you practiced and performed Shakespeare? Like when, when was the first mm. Shakespearean kind of piece that you dove into? Uh, my first, I, I can't remember if I did any 
readings of sonnets or mm -hmm. scenes or monologues or anything like that really other than in audition settings um my the first time i ever did a, a production a play mm -hmm. was when i was in uh, second year of university with uh, with ian okay we did a midsummer night's dream nice yeah who are you i was uh <laughs> i was um what, what robin starveling robin starveling the tailor oh wow okay i can see that and i was the moon in in the pyramus and thisbe play i was i was moonbeam he's <laughs> nice moonbeam um uh so in 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 that ilk what do you i guess prefer in performing because i'm it seems like how many others have you performed uh shakespeare wise to like do you have has shakespeare become like your strength or do you still want to kind of perform more of it to get uh to get more into the that that space i would say i've i've used for any audition that will allow it um a piece of richard ii and like i always try to include uh, as much of uh, as much of the old stuff as i can just because i find it i, I find it easier Mm -hmm. When you've got a rhythm and when they're not talking the way that you talk every day, you, it's easier to remember what comes next as opposed to, well, yeah, then, but I came down the road and I did such and such and went to their yard, you know, and, you know, like, oh, am I saying yeah now? Am I saying yes now? Am I saying, you know, now like, what's yeah. what's going on? Whereas when you've got the pentameter to fall back on, when you've got the the funny language, it mm -hmm. sticks in your brain a little easier. It's a little more like remembering song lyrics than it is remembering <laughs> just words to say. Sure. Um, I've... Oh, have I only? I've only, I've only performed in um, in Summer Night's Dream. Um, I've done a lot of work elsewhere. I've done a lot of music theater, especially is kind of what I've done a lot of. Mm -hmm. I've done a little bit of television. I've done a little bit of contemporary theater. I've done some like eighteenth century or translations of eighteenth century works. I've done some restoration theater which is kind of coming close but not quite because <laughs> charles ii was a weird dude um but yeah i i would say if i could just spend the rest of my life being paid a living wage to perform and talk about the works of william shakespeare i'm done i retired that's that's that um yeah, it, it it's something that I I really feel like I'm coming alive in in ways that I don't in in other work necessarily. Sometimes in musicals I will, you know, you're you know you're singing along with a big chorus and you just mm -hmm. kind of hear the sound of everybody reverberating and you go, oh wow, okay, now I'm I'm part of something. But there's just something that I I just really like to sink my teeth into verse and that sort of early modern English. Yeah. It's just really yummy. Really yummy. It it must also be tough being like in the air age we are now that I guess Shakespeare, for lack of a better, I guess, analogy or whatever, it's it's kind of like nobody likes it, I feel. Nobody's <laughs> like wants to wants to like they're not being performed as much unless you count like Shakespeare in the park, which I'm sure you've uh seen countless times mm -hmm. or watched or whatever. Um, but it's it's kind of a dying air and a dying art and, and they still obviously teach it in schools for now but how who knows how long that's going to keep going it's a, it 
I is think it's first? it's losing its its appeal, which is a bit sad. As far as teaching it goes, I'm I was listening to Writers and Company with uh, Eleanor Wachtel uh, from the CBC. Oh, I don't know when, but it was a while mm-hmm. ago, and she was talking with Sadie Smith, who was talking about teaching the canon, and what. Smith's argument was, is that you shouldn't, you know, obliterate the canon, you shouldn't do away with the canon, you should put the canon in context. So one of her favorite novels is Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. And she was reading it with her daughter during the pandemic, doing homeschool teaching for English class with, with Pride and Prejudice. Sure. And they got to when Lizzie Bennet arrives at, at Pemberley. And she sees, you know, this grand house and these beautiful um, vistas and so forth. And they're, they're hearing, you know, Darcy has 10,000 a year and wow, this is wonderful. And then she goes, okay, so it's, let's say 1812, 1813. How would somebody have 10,000 a year? How would somebody own this, this much land? And, you know, looking at that, okay, so probably cotton at this point, which Mm -hmm. means mills in probably Manchester, elsewhere in the North of England, maybe, maybe Scotland, maybe Wales. Um, And then most likely, enslaved people in the Caribbean, probably Jamaica. Yeah. Um, so, so not doing away with the canon in favor of a newer work or a different work, but really contextualizing the canon. So when we see, for example, uh, what might be considered hibernophobic uh, stereotypes in Shakespeare's works, putting that into context with the war that was going on at the time and the, and the sort of Tudor conquest of, of Ireland, when we see, uh, for example, Caliban in The Tempest, or even The yeah. Tempest at large as a play, exploring, you know, that, that idea of that, that th- the first century or two of the colonial period, and, you know, Francis Bacon and John Cabot sailing from England to plant a flag in Turtle Island and say, this is mine now. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to engage with the classics but not deify them, I think is yeah. Is I, I, I think that's I think that's a really good point. Uh, a friend, a friend of ours, uh, Delphine. Uh, I'm I'm dropping her name because <laughs> fuck you, Del. Um, uh, up again. She she just released a really interesting uh, podcast for uh, her her studies um, called. Uh, it was about a murderous uh, slave owner from uh, America called Delphine Lalaurie. Um And she, she titled it mythol- the myth, uh, fuck. Yes. Uh, <laughs> mythologizing a murderer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that just, when I, when I listened to her podcast and, and heard that title, it was something so, it's something that I've realized is so common these days that like we always have to see the 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 bad guy's point of view, like the 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 villain's idea, like Cruella, the movie that just came out or whatever. I know this is to a much greater extent than uh, mm-hmm. than Shakespeare, obviously. It's not yeah. murder. Well, it's kind of interesting. Or... Uh, a lot of the canon has already been giving the bad guy's point of view, like even even Hamilton you know, is giving the bad guy's point of view because these guys are clearing the planes, holding hostages and forcing them to work for them, all these wonderful, wonderful things. Yeah. But it's it's just the story of their 
independence. Yeah, that's a good point. Dang. Um, so I guess on a, on a little bit of a lighter note, um, mm. have you... You mean lighter than slavery and colonialism? <laughs> um, I, I want to get your kind of experience in like, I guess, viewing Shakespeare stuff. Um, and I, specifically, I'm, I'm interested because it's something I really want to do uh, within my lifespan. Uh, and that's go see the Globe Theater. Uh, have you ever visited or, or anything like that? Uh, the, I've only been outside of Canada as a rational being once, and that was to Eastport, Maine, where you can kind of look across the bay and go, you see that island over there? And that's part of New Brunswick. <laughs> okay. Um and then uh, when I was just we, uh, just a little fella, um, we would occasionally go over into Holton, Maine. But again, you know, you spit and you hit New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner has gone to the Globe. One time I was, I can't remember if I was rehearsing for something or doing a show. I was, I, I think I was going to see Julius Caesar um, mm-hmm. when they were doing that um, in Toronto. I was going to see that and she was going to the globe to see i think love labor's lost but i i could be Ooh, wrong abby if you're listening one. to this feel free to correct me and send us <laughs> nasty nasty emails um i have in the early days of the pandemic they were doing streams of past productions um for free that you could watch and we watched mackers and uh there was another one I can't remember what the other one was that we watched. And then we also watched their 12th night in, um, I think it was maybe 2012-ish. I think it was when I was still in high school. Um, The Globe did uh, an all-male production of 12th night with the white face and the collars and candle lit and and all of that. I think Um, I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't do it in original pronunciation, um, which would be like the one step nearer. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, everything was more or less sort of presenting a, a, a an historical practice. Interesting. Um, so, also, but no so, short answer to the question. I've never been. But you, I'm sure you want to go. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yes. Um, so first of all, sorry to the audience for my f- creaking chair and my flipping pages. Um, Here, I'll flip some pages too. I'll just. <laughs> I can't even hear it. That's how beautiful your mic is. No, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, But uh, that, uh, so before we get into dream roles of yours, because I really Mm -hmm. want to dive into that. um, I want to, I guess, get a final thought on Shakespeare and the importance of Shakespeare and the impact Shakespeare and works akin to to that have impacted you or why they're important to keep in the ethos mm-hmm. if that word fits there i i think one thing that's really important in terms of making sure that people are aware and have a kind of a working understanding of shakespeare isn't so much to do with the stories that he's telling or the characters that he's presenting, because, you know, those will come in handy because then you'll be reading some other old text and it'll reference Shakespeare and you'll know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But what, what really gets me going is just the structure of it. You know, how he, how he made those 10 or 11 syllables really work. And if you can get inside of that 
and make that the focus of the teaching and use, you know, Shakespeare as an example, and then maybe use some lesser poet as, as a, a counterexample or something like that, or um, to really teach people, especially when they're writing verse, but writing anything, to really make every word count. Now, of course, Shakespeare was writing in a different time. They had different um, uh, conventions. They mm -hmm. kind of had to do a lot of exposition. It couldn't be too heady, like a lot of things can be today, yeah. um, because people would get unhappy with that. And if they didn't understand, they'd start throwing things. Uh, so for the actor's safety, they they had to do, uh, it, it feels overwritten sometimes. Sure. And five acts can feel a little overwritten. I've joked before that, you know, Shakespeare originally just wanted two acts and he wrote this first draft that was five acts long thinking he'd cut some out and then ran out of time. But um, uh, yeah, just sort of the, the structure of arguments in particular, how a character will go from point A to point B to point C to point D to make a point. Uh, the structure of just the, the grammatical structure of putting this word and why, why you're choosing this word in this order. Um, that's what that's what really gets me. And as as an actor, as a as a performer of Shakespeare, that's what I really go to as well. Is like, okay, what kinds of sounds are being used here? Are they a lot of kind of forward sounds? Are they a lot of consonants? Are they a lot of yeah? Are they a lot of ends and m's and just sort of flowing sounds? Because that will influence kind of what's going on in the scene or or how we interpret what's going on in the scene. Sure. Um, because there are so many words in the English language, and there were so many words in the English language in the 16th century. And Shakespeare was making up words. So if it, it's not that he was out of words. Yeah. Why choose this particular word rather than this other word to, to say this? What does that mean? How can I use that? How can I apply that to my understanding of it? Um, that's what I really get going for. Um, do we have to... I, I think it's important to talk about also the, the places where Shakespeare goes belly up. Um, like some of some of the discussion around Othello, some of the discussion around Shylock by other characters in the play and, and by those characters themselves mm -hmm. um, should definitely be examined. A lot of the, like I was saying, just the words that are just kind of dropped uh, into other plays where you're reading along and you're going, ha, 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 oh, this is a nice light comedy. Ooh, wow, that just turned into a racial slur. Oh, and we're back to a nice light comedy. Yeah. Like that definitely needs to be examined. Um but we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater either. So I think it's, yeah, it's something that should be explored structurally and definitely put into context with everything else that was going on historically and in literature and in however else people were interacting with one another. Yeah, I think those are all very, very salient points. And I think that it's it's not just a Shakespeare thing either. I think there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that is labeled as bad or like you see that racial slur in that old piece of text and you're like this is terrible we can't look at this mm -hmm. get it out of here don't let us see it or whatever but there's a lot of importance in like reading these things understanding these things and re recognizing they're not good things uh but not like just all out dismissing history i guess you know but anyways Let's get to the, the positives and let's talk about dream roles for you, okay. sir. Could be Shakespeare, could not be. I just okay. want to get some ideas of, of what you, uh, the almighty actor, uh, who you would love to, uh, who, who you would enjoy portraying on stage, on screen, maybe, anywhere else. Boy, 
Um, there's Tevi is usually top of the list from Fiddler on the Roof. He's mm-hmm. he's usually up there. Any part of that show would be fun. I could be, you know, the the Russian Orthodox priest who walks on in one scene and walks off the other side, and I'd, I'd be pretty happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do really enjoy Twelfth Night. I I have really gotten inside the head of Malvolio. I've used some of his texts just for text analysis stuff before in mm-hmm. in school or for auditions, and I think he'd be a really fun one to play. Um, there's something I like also about Prospero. Again, kind Ooh. of a yucky dude. Yeah. You know, his daughter starts asking too many questions and he's just like, okay, sleep time for you. <laughs> um, he's enslaved Ariel. He's forcing Caliban to work for him and calling him nasty names. But there's something I just, I like about the whimsy and sort of the mysticism yeah. of that character. And I could, I could uh, imagine you not for those reasons but i could imagine you portraying uh prospero and i think you do an excellent job at that for sure uh i'm trying to think of of non non shakespeare now mm-hmm. or what are, uh, what are some i guess what are some roles that you've done that you you're really proud of and, and happy with mm-hmm. and like or possible dream roles that you've already gotten to play i um there's always a very special place in my heart for guys and dolls it was Mm. Uh, the first musical that I did, it was Guys and Dolls Jr. when I was just wee. Nice. And when I was in grade 12, the uh, Theatre New Brunswick Theatre School did uh, a production of it, of, of Guys and Dolls, the full thing, not the junior. Um, and I was cast as Sky Masterson, which was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I I don't really see myself as a leading man. I would, If I was going to cast myself in that show, I probably would have put myself in as... Um, Nicely, nicely, Johnson. If I could rank, sing the role because he's a bit of a high tenor, uh, and I am not, uh, or like Nathan Detroit because I I feel like I'm a little more goofy. Um, but it was it was fun to try some leading man material and yeah, uh, yeah and it, and like it is again. There's a show. It's got its issues, but it's fun. You mm-hmm. know, it's just it's fun. And as Ian Watson would say, if it's not fun, why do it? There's no money in it. <laughs> um, very true wise um, man I, think. I had a lot of fun with um, Juan Peron actually I, I'm not a fan of Evita as a musical I'm not a fan of Andrew Lloyd Webber at all or any of his not works. even School of Rock <laughs> <laughs> I can maybe make an exception for School of Rock just kidding I can't I do not like any of his works um, but I had a lot of fun as, as Juan Peron I just did that with like a, a community theater a semi-professional group in in Fredericton one summer when I was back home between years at school. But just playing an historical character and one as already larger than life as Juan Peron, who was, you know, a very popular guy, but also a dictator, <laughs> um, was was just, it was a lot of fun to kind of, and even just get into those clothes, you know, because yeah. dictators wear different clothes than the rest of us do. Um <laughs> So to get into those and to look at yourself in the mirror was kind of fun. Um, when I was in school, I played, I'm not sure if you're familiar with The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, uh, Iscariot or Stephen Adley Gurgis, but he's- Very uh, minimally, but yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, it's, a again, a fun play. The entire thing takes place in purgatory. And I was playing Sigmund Freud, 
So again, like diving into that historical character or that historical figure and kind of getting inside what made him tick, especially when he spent his life making, you know, getting inside what made other people tick or thinking that he did at least. Um, And especially getting inside his head, but also knowing what we know today Mm -hmm. about what cocaine does to your body (laughs) and why people do certain things. Because a lot of, like, I, I, I am not a psychiatrist i am not a psychology expert yeah but a lot of what freud was saying has since been disproved but to dive inside that that mind and to just play in there play in the sandbox of Sigmund freud in purgatory was a lot of fun as I well ima- i could imagine yeah uh, a friend of mine once wrote a, a role for me and the best way i can describe that is kind of a mix of like humphrey bogart and groucho marx but times a thousand and on wow. coke. Like it was. Is this was the, a, is this the one you show me the the P one? Yeah. yeah okay, that's okay. That one. Yeah. Have I sent you the script for that? I think so. Yeah. I I think yeah. I remember reading it at least yeah, to some I, extent. Maybe not all the way through. I brought it in one time once I had finished it because that was just it was a wild time, <laughs> and the writer and the director for that were both classmates of mine. And just really terrific people to work with. And I would work with either of them again in a heartbeat. Um, shout out to them. Shout out to them. Greta and Kate. Woo-hoo. I doubt they'll uh, listen to this because I don't know them. But, you know, <laughs> I'd but like to. Great people. And if anybody knows Greta and Kate, who were my classmates, tell them I say hi. They're I really also like- say hi. And I'd like to get to know you, even though you don't know me. I probably know more about you now than you know me. And that's scary. Um uh, okay, so so some very uh, very Ooh, and I, int- I have no no ambition to direct, no wish to direct, but I would love to direct a production of Taming of the Shrew, Ooh. where Petruchio is a cult leader. Because I think uh, if to take <laughs> that idea, I'm probably never going to get around to it. So I'm just I'm I'm giving that to all of you. Um, that in in that Act Five scene when everything's when the shrew has been tamed. Mm-hmm. Um, if everybody else was directed in such a way that it, it showed on their face that no matter what they were saying, they were really weirded out by everything that was going on. That's I think it, it makes makes sense as sort of like a, a story of of brainwashing. I, I and I don't know if it would be like a, a hippie dippy long robes idea. in the forest kind of a cult or like a, a Jonestown kind of a thing, leaning towards the latter. But it yeah. it's definitely a story of how abuse and um gaslighting will change a person mm-hmm. or, or can change a person um, and that it's presented as a comedy and that it was originally written as a comedy I think notwithstanding I, I don't think that matters because with that exact same text you can make it a really scary haunting tale and I, I don't like scary stories either but I think I think that one I think that's a really maybe, good idea I'm surprised it hasn't happened at this point maybe I mean has. You should you should at least work on that with somebody. Get get your get get your flowers uh, from that because it's your idea. You don't want to you want to you want to get a little bit of that glory, no? I have enough glory as <laughs> maybe you can act in it. Maybe you can act yeah. in it. That would be fun. You'll be the you'll be the nobody important, like just like a porter, a spear <laughs> carrier, somebody who just shows up and kind of looks around and goes, "Oh yeah, this is fun." Yeah. Um, okay, so. Um... I guess final question, this kind of leads into the lightning round, but final base question for this is what's your favorite 
Shakespeare play? Is it straight up Twelfth Night, or favorite one to favorite one to read versus favorite one to play? I think. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be a comedy. It might be a history. I'm I'm thinking it's going to be a comedy. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's it's either Twelfth Night or Midsummer Night's Dream, just because they're such a romp. Yeah. You know, they're they're a pile of fun. There's in in Midsummer. There's a magic. There's fairies. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's all kinds of good stuff going on. Twelfth uh, Night. You've got a the whole you know viola cesario subplot but then you've also got malvolio mucking about with feste and and sir toby and and sir andrew i would love to be sir toby their shenanigans what a dream Um, yeah there's just a lot going on and it's all a bunch of fun i i think there's also something i really like about richard the second not richard the third i do like richard the third but i find that richard the second is uh, a really fun one and Mm -hmm especially a lot of the text in Richard II is a lot of, uh, they, it's a lot of good arguments being made in ways that still feel, you know, logical in, within the, the context of the story. Whereas it's, it's not people just kind of standing and spouting an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, it does flow quite well. I really like Troilus and Cressida. I've never done Troilus and Cressida. I've never seen it performed. But I read it and I went, why isn't this being performed more? And I think the only reason it's not being performed more is because people don't have a working knowledge of the Trojan Wars anymore. But it's such a fun tale. I mean, it's it's also very, um, I think it's it, Shakespeare wise, what's performed is what's known and what's taught. And I yeah. feel like that one's just not taught or known uh, to, to most people. Like, I don't really see uh, Anthony and Cleopatra um performed either or any or any of the henry's either like a lot of the ones unless it's like mackers especially in times of war yeah unless it's mackers or hamlet or romeo and juliet or lear lear but even that's not super uh super touched on lear's really good though i'm a i'm a fan of lear um but yeah um okay well but uh, before we get into the uh the lightning round of of this uh wonderful thing that brings a close to the the Shakespeare theater aspect of this, uh, the the main topic of this episode. Um, but before we get into the lightning round, do you have any questions uh, for me uh, or comments? What's your middle name? My middle name, for all them listeners out there, my middle name is Kareem. K-A-R-E-M. I think I knew that. Now that you say that, I knew that. Yeah. I wasted a question. That's fine. It's all good. <laughs> um, well, that's the end of your questions. You only get the one. So. Shucks stamp it for for next time maybe we can have another one of these about something <laughs> something else maybe we'll find a new thing here in the lightning round zoom, lightning zoom. round lightning round zoom 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 um so uh first question i'm pretty sure i start with this uh for everybody cake or pie oh boy pie pie hands down okay yeah what you go to I don't uh, ask I this think, to other people, but I want to know. I think apple's the the easy go to. I do like a good mincemeat. I do like a good blueberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, what yeah, uh, pumpkin? But seasonally, seasonally pumpkin seasonally pie, pumpkin. not just pumpkin pie any old time. Yeah. Uh, coconut cream. Mm. Not a fan of banana cream. Not really a fan of the taste of bananas unless I'm eating a banana. Interesting. Um, yeah. Oh, but banana bread is the exception, and all of its derivatives, including banana muffins and, <laughs> and so forth. 
Um, Agreed. Yeah. Short answer, pi. One time I was voting on campus and I, I just brought in my ID and they said, great, you're in that riding over there in New Brunswick. So here we're going to give you that ballot. Mm-hmm. And I voted. And as an incentive to vote, they were giving people pie. You could choose between apple and mincemeat and blueberry. And I couldn't decide. So they gave me a slice of each. Wow. That's a nice, you yeah. get three easy pies, easy pieces of pie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm personally a strawberry with Stéphane Dion. Pardon? And then I went and I had my picture taken with Stefan Dion, who happened to be on campus, even though I was not voting for him. And I don't think he was running. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway. I'm a, I'm a strawberry rhubarb man myself. Ooh. That's a, that's okay. one of my okay. favorite underrated ones. But apples, mm-hmm. classic. Mm-hmm. Um, cats or dogs? Oh, dogs. Okay. Wow. That was a little bit too fast for my question? liking. But uh, uh, favorite movie? Casablanca. Good one. Yeah. Good, good option. Uh, most people have no answer to that. You're, really? you were like immediate, right on oh, the yeah. button with that one. Casablanca, I'd say. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is up there. Hmm. I would say um, Philadelphia Story is up there. Um, I still yeah, have to watch Casablanca that one. You've, really you've just... suggested that one to me a lot. That and High Society, you've suggested to me, and I High gotta Society's watch both. High of them. Society is the musical adaptation of Philadelphia Story. Maybe that's why I have to watch both of them. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I remember you saying a good one. Charade or Charade is a, another fun okay. one. I'm going to write that one down. Yeah. Uh, it When it first came out, there was some issue with their copyright agreement that rendered it public domain as soon as it came out. So it got a lot of television airplay, but it's Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. Ooh, goodness. That's a good guess. I think, I think Walter Matthau might be in it as well. I can't quite recall it's been a while i love walter matha <laughs> i love walter matha so much um high society fell i'm just gonna put philly story because i don't have room um okay inside or outside depends on the day fair enough fair enough yeah. um what about what today 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 i think i would say outside just because it's like a nice kind of low to mid 20s there's a nice breeze blue sky not too hot not too humid nice um Talk or text? Oh, talk. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the kind of person who will dictate my texts into my little tech, <laughs> text dictation thing just because I don't like typing. Fair enough. That's your, your old school mentality coming out there. Um, my little favorite... man, my great big thumbs. Yeah. What was it, Grandpa? We called you Grandpa. Did we just call you Grandpa? I think we just called Gra- you Grandpa. Grandpa, sometimes, sometimes you just called what I wore Grandpa Chic. Grandpa Chic, yes, yes, yes. Okay, all right. Um, favorite TV show? mash the crown's up there but i'm gonna say probably Ooh, mash. mash is a good one I, oh mash is so good i used to watch it with my uh my grandpa he loved it yeah. um i also watched the entirety of uh, gilligan's island when i was in middle school and most of it i i have the strongest memories of watching it while i was recovering from the flu and did that make it a better show or a worse show for you? It was, it, it's a fun show. Like yeah. it's seven people stuck on an island and they never ever get off of the island because <laughs> they were going to get them off of the island, but then they were canceled after three seasons. It's, it's, uh, it's lost. So the prequel to lost. Exactly. <laughs> um, favorite food. Mm. Any food, any food, any food at all. My mother makes really fantastic cinnamon buns. So oh, that sounds those. good. Okay, cinnamon Not buns. Not just any cinnamon buns. This, my mother's you, cinnamon buns. You know, I've realized that uh, that doing this kind of stuff, especially with the cake and the pie and the favorite food, it just makes me hungry. Yeah. 
It's not Good fair, Lord. Is it? Um, favorite musical artist, musical or artist? act, or act. Uh, pro- probably. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a toss. I. Mm. Bing Crosby or Vera Lynn or uh, Frank Sinatra, one one of the three. Okay. If I'm if I'm in the right mood for them, also I'm going to put Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons and the Beatles up there as well. Mm-hmm. But if I just want you know put on some music and feel good, it's going to be either Bing or Frank or uh, or Vera Lynn. Chet yeah, Baker's up to, there too. I have to check out Vera Lynn because I don't think I know. Right. Her. She only uh, until very very recently. If somebody asked who my favorite musical artist was. I would say um, living or dead, and they'd say dead, and I'd say Bing Crosby, and they'd say living, and I'd say Vera Lynn because she was still alive and like over a hundred, but she just passed away this past March, I believe. Oh, that's sad. Oh, that must. I mean, like the woman lived I mean, well true. over a hundred years, so good for her. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. Uh, earth, air, fire, or water? Mm. I. Mm. It's mm, a good one. I'm kind of a like a watery kind of a person most of the time. Sometimes, sometimes mud or mist, but always with that kind of a water base. Okay. All right. M- mud or mist. Yeah. So like sometimes a little earth, sometimes a little air, but sure, always sure, water. Sure. Always water. Water's the intrinsic uh, one. Yeah. Um, because I'm uh, human and we're like seventy percent water anyway. But fair enough. Fair point. Um, favorite game could be board game, video game, game show, if you'd like. I I really enjoy Trivial Pursuit and no one ever plays it with me because it takes too long. Similarly, I really enjoy Diplomacy, but nobody ever plays it with me because it takes too long. Um, for something shorter, I I enjoy Scrabble or Cribbage. Okay. I'll play uh, Trivial Pursuit. Good game Pursuit of chess as well. Good game of chess. Yeah. I will not play that with you. I <laughs> with... I'm really not very good. <laughs> I very um, much doubt that. It's, it's interesting. A lot of people started playing chess because they watched Queen's Gambit, but Abby and I had been playing chess, and then we saw this new show on Netflix called Queen's Gambit, and we went, would that be any good? We just, I mean, like, we play chess. We've got to watch it, I guess. And then we watched it, and we went, okay, so it was good. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, so, and this is the final, a little bit deeper than the, the other lightning rounds. The final question is, who inspires you? Hmm. Do I have to pick just one? No. You oh, can good. pick as many good. people as you want. Good, 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 good. Um, we could, I, I think, open the door into a big theological conversation, and I could list a handful of saints or um, certain persons of the Trinity or things like that. Um, but I'm going to restrict it down to kind of who inspires me in a more secular way, I think. Um, okay. And I'm going to say my folks, definitely. You know, mom and dad, you've got to put them in there. Um, Abby, definitely as well. I was just proofreading for her uh, an essay that she's working into an article that she might, you know, start peddling for publication later on. Um, But just reading it, it's really interesting stuff that she's working with. She's um, looking at a concordat done between the Mi'kmaq people and the Holy See in the the 1600s. Interesting. uh, Which is kind of nifty and sort Mm -hmm. of how it was misapplied, but how if it was properly applied uh it could be a basis of a worldview that didn't involve sort of a westphalian domination and like these are my borders therefore i'm sovereign here like that Mm -hmm. kind of a worldview because this this is kind of a counter counter view to that which is kind of nifty um and i i can brag on her behalf she's 
this is nothing that I'm doing, but I'm going to brag on her behalf. She's off off to Harvard in the fall for her PhD as well. So that's kind of fun. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Who else inspires me? Who else? Who else? How about career-wise? Career-wise? Yeah. Any any actors or or performers or anything like that? I think just whenever I like, there are certain aspects of Sinatra's career where I go, wow, you know, that's, that's really great. Then other times I hear stories about him just being a big dick because that's what Sinatra <laughs> was, was a big dick. Uh-huh. And I go, well, maybe I don't want to be like that, but I could do these other things because, um, you know, he was, he was very instrumental in desegregating Las Vegas, for example, because Vegas was, um, big boom in town for all these nightclub performers and things Mm -hmm. like that. And when some of the performers of color weren't getting the same treatment or were being forced to stay out of town and then come in to perform and then stay out of town again, Mm -hmm. uh, or weren't being welcomed into the establishments at which they were playing, Sinatra and a bunch of his buddies, like, you know, Dean Martin and so forth, all said that, okay, if, if they're not welcome here, then we're not going to come here either. And they were big enough names at that point that, threatening the casino owners and the, and the nightclub owners and things like that with that, or even just because they would often go and see a show and maybe come upstage for a number and then, and then sit back down and have a drink. Um, Mm -hmm. But even just with, with that off of the table saying that, no, they're not going to patronize anymore. They're not going to perform anymore. um, That really put a bunch of pressure on those, on those owners to then open their doors uh, similarly, when the Beatles were touring America, they wouldn't play to segregated houses. And this was, you know, the early to mid 60s in the South. Um, True. I think I remember hearing that too in something. Uh, yeah. Dusty Springfield, for example, um, she toured South Africa during apartheid, but refused to play to a segregated house. The government eventually told her, all right, you can't perform here. You need to get out. So she got out. And then that record there, the the sales she put toward charities for uh, for black communities in South Africa and nice. colored communities as they're as they're called as well in, in South Africa, which is fun. So whenever I hear about like somebody using their authority for good like that, I go, that's good stuff. Hell um, yeah. Sanders, Just, it makes you feel Sanders. happy about the about the world that there are people yeah. like that. Yeah. Bernie's yeah. Well, yeah. Just any anybody who like, I, I would say anybody who's known more for compassion than for success or than getting ahead or things like that, can't think of any names off the top of my head right now because you put sure. me on the spot. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, but definitely all of all of them, just because I I think that that's kind of what's what's the important stuff right there. You know, it's the it's taking care of the other people who are kicking around yeah. as opposed to just getting getting ahead like a, a certain Lex Luthor who shall remain nameless, but has a haircut like Lex Luthor and runs a particular shipping company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you know, you know, and everybody yeah, you know. knows. <laughs> if you don't, it's Bezos. <laughs> um, okay. So with that, that wraps up the lightning round and <laughs> cu- accumulates this episode. Um, so thank you very much, Ryan, for joining me today and chatting oh with God. me all about Shakespeare and your theater experience. It's been an absolute pleasure to see you once again after so long. Um, yeah. It's good to see you too. Do you want to shout out anything before uh, I close out the episode? Oh boy. Uh, when is it? What what day is it? It's July. What's happening in July? Fourth, What's fifth. happening in August? Uh, 
nothing that I can think of, but okay. um, definitely, definitely there are people out there who deserve a pat on the back. If you think you might be one of them, give yourself a pat on the back. If you know of somebody who does deserve a pat on the back, take this as your initiative to no matter how awkward it is, no matter how weird it makes you feel, give them a pat on, maybe not a, like a physical pat on the back because that would be within six feet of them, but you know, mm. send them a Unless you have long arms. Message. Unless you have long arms, true. True, like if you have very long sticks. arms, pat anybody you like on the back. <laughs> pat them on the back. But yeah, just Give them their flowers while or... they can receive them. Yeah. Um, okay, when, well, with that, thank you again, Ryan, for so much uh, for joining me. Thank you, the listeners, for listening. If you've listened, I said listen a lot. Um, <laughs> if, you has, if you haven't listened, well... If, if you haven't listened... Well, screw listen. you then. I mean, this is a little bit far in the episode to, to tell you to listen, but listen anyway. Um, uh, if you want more of the podcast, check it out on Spotify, Apple, or any other podcast apps. Um, if you want to keep up with what I've got going on, check out my website at thecoolsideof.com. Check out the Instagram the cool, at thecoolsideof or Facebook at the cool side of the pillow. Other than that, take care. Spike your hair. Uh, I don't care. But wave uh, it around like it just don't care. Uh, and uh, and stay frosty. All right. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cool Side of the Pillow podcast. If you like what you heard, tune in every Monday for all new episodes. And follow me on Instagram at the cool side of to keep up to date with what I've got going on. While you're at it, check out my website, thecoolsideof.com. Stay frosty, my friends. <laughs>